2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from New York City, the borough of Queens, on this, the 20th day of October in the year 2020. I do want to remind you that I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com. Um, my friend Chen Lin publishes an excellent letter that focuses on mining as well as the biotechs and energy stocks primarily. Uh, he finds other ways to make money as well. Chen Lin, uh, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? Go to chenpicks.com. And we want to encourage you to always send along uh, whenever you have some thoughts about this show. We always enjoy hearing from uh, the, the listeners. So. Feel free to send along any comments you might have about our show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions and number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And uh, also, we uh, of course don't want to forget our sponsors because without them, we wouldn't be here talking to you, that's for sure. Benchmark Metals, NV Gold, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, Grand Portage, GMV Minerals, and SK mining corp those are our sponsors for today's show before I talk more about today's show let me say once again that in terms of the upside potential for the gold and silver exploration companies there has never been a time when the outlook for gold and silver exploration companies has been more bullish than now a sufficient amount of capital is flowing from a generally overvalued equity market primarily from professional investors It's flowing towards gold and silver mining companies that enable exploration companies to fund expensive exploration drill programs. Moreover, new technologies are being discovered and used to allow geologists to more efficiently test their geological hypotheses, as well as to produce gold more efficiently. Uh, With regard to the production potential, efficiency, a case in point would be novel Resources, which is now, thanks to IT, Mechanical sorting technologies have evolved uh, that may very well be revolutionary uh, in making different kinds of gold deposits heretofore not economic to now become economic. And indeed, I have very high hopes for Novo Gold's resources, uh, for Novo Resources Project in, uh, in Australia. It looks extremely promising. Uh, Just this morning, though, is a case in point with regard to the good news that's coming out of this sector. Now, as these geologists are able to test their hypotheses, these technologies are allowing them to pinpoint their drill targets more precisely. Uh, So just this morning in my inbox, I found some great news from one of our sponsors, Benchmark Metals, Uh, the company put out. Some very strong gold and silver drill results that seem to set the company firmly on its way toward that that five point five plus million ounce gold equivalent resource target. The headline numbers today uh, was two point uh, the headline number was two point eight two grams per ton over forty two meters. What is important to note is that consistency of both high grade and lower grade bulk mineable gold. Uh, Material and silver mineralization really seems to be coming together. A couple of weeks back, the company announced a headline number of 3.39 grams per ton gold equivalent over 30.6 meters. The dimensions of this gold deposit is being extended laterally and in depth, and a fairly, uh, it's growing very rapidly. So I'm I'm very very bullish about Benchmark with regard to uh, financing. Uh, as I mentioned, a lot of savvy professional investors, uh, institutional investors are putting money into these stocks. And more often than not, these companies are being offered more money than they're seeking to raise. So, for example, Benchmark, um, they just recently announced a $50 million raise um, to explore their lawyers project. And that was, if, I, if memory serves me correctly, more than double what they were seeking. So I can honestly say that each and every company that I just named as sponsors to this show are companies that I'm very excited about personally. They are each covered in my newsletter, and I own shares in each of them personally. And I think they all have great prospects, exploration prospects, that can cause their share prices to rise several fold from where they are now. no promises, of course. This is high risk, high reward uh, business, exploration, never anything guaranteed. But when you start to uh, delineate large, uh, mineable, high-margin pro- uh, deposits, they can be extremely rewarding for for early shareholders. So this is a, a, absolutely an exciting time for gold and silver exploration stories, and there is every reason to expect this sector will get a lot more uh, will get a lot more uh, exciting and profitable. Even still, as Rick Rule mentioned uh, last week, I think. Um, the S and P, the, the share of gold, of uh, the share of miners in the S and P, is one fourth a level as it's as, as that it has been at previous highs uh, in the um, uh, in the bull markets in various bull markets in the past. And uh, just this morning, Robert Kiyosaki tweeted that uh, if you compare the nineteen hundred dollar gold price now to the current money supply, it's equivalent to thirty five dollars an ounce back. Uh, in the late 60s and early 70s. So in other words, you might think that that gold seems expensive now at $1,900 and that you missed the train uh, as it pulled out of the station. But the actual fact is that the dollar is being debased now at an accelerated pace. So that, as measured by the dollars, it has uh, a long ways to rise. You know, keep in mind that it's not that gold is gaining value. Gold is holding its value. It's the currency that is, uh, that is declining. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you're sitting on an airplane at the gate and you're thinking, you're feeling like you're moving, but then you look out the window and realize it's not you, it's not your plane that's moving, but the one next to you. Well, that's really what's going on with gold. Gold is sitting where it is. And currencies are losing their value. Uh, and people that are sitting and putting their faith in their currencies uh, are going to be left behind, unfortunately. And I believe... Uh, increasingly so, as more and more fiscal stimulus is going to be required uh, to try to keep things uh, from, uh, uh, to keep the economy afloat. Uh, which brings me to today's title, uh, today's the title of today's show, with regard to uh, current political situation, which seems to be, have everybody really talking a lot about what's going on in the presidential elections here? Well, my guest John Rubino says that this is the least important presidential election um, and so we'll be talking to John Robino in the second half of the, of the show today um, about that. Ian Claussen is going to be with me right after the first commercial break in just a few minutes from now. Uh, and he'll be telling us about GMV Minerals. It's a company that's moving towards – well, it's, it's moving its project along kind of quietly. Not too many people know about it. That's why I'm glad, John – that's why I'm glad that Ian's going to be on the show today to talk about it. It's a project in Arizona that is uh, developing – Uh, very well. Uh, It's an open pit heap leach situation and and, uh, Ian will tell us about that right after our first commercial break.
4: Um,
3: But getting to the comments that John is going to talk about the uh, topic of today's show, the second half, uh, it's certainly America is more politically divided now than ever. I can't remember any time in my 73 years when we've seen so much divisiveness in America. Uh, and most people believe that this is the most important election that we've had, and I'm not sure that I don't believe that, but that case can be made, as John will, that uh, maybe it's not all that important, given the situation that we're finding ourselves in economically. Um, you know, the, uh, the the main thing is um, that we have a situation where debt is so great, uh, we are so indebted, and we can't pay the debt, and as I discussed recently um, with um, with various uh, guests on the show that there's no really no solution other than to print money and to print massive amounts of it uh, and there definitely has to be now fiscal policy fiscal stimulus uh, because monetary stimulus just simply doesn't work once you get to zero bound interest levels um, things break down there and you know, you can fool Mother Nature for a long time, as the Keynesians have tried to do, uh, and it seemed to be successful. But each of these credit cycles, we find out that the economy can't take higher interest rates. So the Federal Reserve is forced into pumping more and more money in, uh, faster and faster, in order to try to keep the system alive. So uh, we will be talking to um, we'll be talking to John Rubino in the second half of today's show. Uh, about why he thinks that this isn't such an important election. I mean, that's a very controversial thought, I think. So we'll hear what John has to say about that. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking to Ian Claussen right, uh, right after the commercial break in just about a minute from now. Would you like to say that I published an article that you can read on um, my website, uh, the jtaylormedia.com, I wrote an article that was a front-page article in my monthly newsletter called The America of 1776 is All But Gone. And in that, um, in that essay, in that one-page article, I essentially was saying that uh, I think it's very sad that we are losing a lot of the liberties, uh, the amendments, the uh, first and second primarily, and, and beyond that, too, uh, that there seems to be a loss of ability of Americans to take ideas that they don't agree with and discuss them and hash them out and and to learn to live together. Certainly civil discourse is, is essential to a happy and prosperous society, and we're seeing less and less of that. Uh, and so uh, we'll, you know, this really factors into what John is talking, John's idea that this isn't such an important election. I'm not sure that John believes that, but I think what he's saying, and we'll find out when we talk to him, uh, is that... Um, it, it, it may be an important election, but maybe it doesn't matter which candidate wins the is cast for some very difficult times ahead. Uh, and in that regard, um, perhaps it isn't as, as important as many of us would think it is. But we'll leave that up to John and see what he has to say about it. Right now, we're going to go to, to our, commer- our commercial break. When we come back, I want uh, we'll be talking to Ian Claussen about GMV Minerals. It's a story of a very small-cap company – I think has a lot of upside potential that very few people are paying attention to. So stick around. Ian Klassen will be with me right after the break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Ian Clausen with me once again. It was just two weeks ago that we spoke to Ian about another company that he heads up, that being Grand Portage. It's a, a very exciting story in Alaska. But today, uh, we want to talk to Ian about GMV Minerals, uh, which company he serves uh, as president and CEO. Uh, welcome, Ian, and thanks for joining me again.
0: Thanks, Jay. Great to be here.
3: Great to have you with me, uh, especially to talk about a company that I think very few people are paying much attention to, GMV Minerals. Uh, I have you with the 42.7 million shares out, um, 28 to 29 cents in Canadian money. I guess that would give it, what, a 12, 13, 14 million market cap in Canadian money, something like that. Um, So um, it's a a baby, really, Uh, but you've had some considerable success in exploring and developing your Mexican hat project in South, really southeastern Arizona, not, not all that far from the Mexican border. Can you provide some background regarding GMV Minerals and, and how it happened, uh, how, how GMV happened to obtain the project?
0: Yeah, by, by all means, Jay, uh, maybe it makes some sense just to let your listeners know that we, we, uh, we currently trade uh, on the uh, TSX Venture under the symbol GMV. Uh, mm-hmm. And for our American friends, we also trade on the OTC QB under the symbol GMVMF. Uh, as you point out, yeah, our focus is entirely on the Mexican Hat Gold Project uh, in southeast Arizona. Uh, some some sort of corporate context, uh, we have about 54 million shares now issued, 850 shareholders. Seven of those are very large shareholders that own 3 to 5 million shares. Uh, Management and its advisors are deeply committed to this project. We own about 12 million shares, and uh, we've got uh, a number of warrants that are currently in the money. Which, when exercised, will certainly enhance our treasury. This project is one that we've been watching for a number of years. Um, It used to be, it was formerly, you know, a a project by Placer Dome, a large company in its day. Um, They made the discovery in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, Their field geologists wanted to continue to expand the project, but As often uh, is the case, the head office uh, chooses uh, uh, to do uh, a a different direction. Um, Mm -hmm. So the project was held since then in a number of different hands uh, in a fractional way uh, until we came along and were able to acquire all the land position that was available, which is about 5,000 acres, uh, and make up what what is the Mexican hat uh, gold project today. It's It's a low sulfidation structurally controlled epithermal gold deposit. It's not high-grade, which is maybe why a lot of people don't know about us, um, but it is uh, uh, very consistent uh, in, in its generation of gold within the, uh, the drill core, and uh, it might be a little bit boring, but as we get to our uh, revised PEA, I, I think we'll certainly be turning a few heads. with uh, uh, Despite it being uh, uh, a low-grade project, it, it could potentially very much be a moneymaker.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the keys here is the uh, is the metallurgy, and you I know our, uh, our mutual friend Eric Coffin first brought this story to my attention, uh, and, and that was what he was pointing out. That you know, it's not the grades; it's it's a, what's the cost of getting the gold out of the ground and producing it. Uh, and you have had a you had a January 2019 PEA preliminary economic assessment. Uh, how and, and you mentioned that you've got another one coming. How might the two differ? Yeah. I mean, maybe give us a little bit of an idea of the of the previous one uh, and what you might expect. Um, I know you can't say too much about it, but what you might expect uh, with the uh, with the updated PEA.
0: Yeah, well, but by all means, I mean are these these are third party independent reports, and sure. you, know, you you get a, a very uh, superb. Inside look at what your deposit might do after they run it through, you know, some fairly extensive filters. Uh, You know, the vast majority of projects don't make it past the PEA stage. The the PEA that we received uh, in in early 2019, uh, you know, nothing wrong with the document. Uh, uh, You know, they recommended a two stage open circuit, fifteen thousand ton a day on a conventional heap leach pad, a mine life of five years, but open to expansion. Uh, decent mine head grade, low strip ratio of 2.8, um, uh, you know, approximately 470,000 ounces recoverable in the plan, but again, open to expansion. Uh, not a bad place overall, but we felt that the CapEx was too high and that the mine life itself of only five years wouldn't lend itself to conventional financing methods. So we, we knew there were ways to improve it. Uh, we engaged Samuel Engineering along with uh, Golder and Respect and Tierra Group uh, to put together a new PEA for us with a different approach and a different focus, and uh, plus in 2019 we filled in 11 holes of drilling uh, where our resource had some gaps that wasn't previously mm-hmm. drilled and was previously characterized as waste. But uh, 11 of, uh, of uh, actually it was 12 holes, but 11 of the 12 uh, intercepted mineralization above our cutoff, and so all of a sudden what used to be waste is now ore, and mm. uh, that's that's filled in an important piece. Uh, to the resource calculation, which was updated by TetraTech Tech, uh, and will go into this PEA. The, the revised PEA, uh, as it were, uh, will be in our hands this week in draft form, and uh, we should have all of the highlights out in the news release seven to ten days from the time we receive it.
3: Oh, good. All right. And I noticed that I think the IRR was uh, 33% payback in two years uh, with $1,300 gold. You mentioned uh, so. I guess you're expecting a larger resource now, and is that uh, that's because of a lot of that infill drilling, as well as higher gold price, perhaps?
0: Yeah. Well, you've nailed it. Uh, I mean, what what we didn't uh, uh, we will have certainly a, a higher resource going into this PEA. Um, I think you'll see that that we'll still have a crushing circuit with two stages. There'll still be no need for agglomeration. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you'll see our mine life expanded significantly beyond the five-year mark. And, uh, you know, that's not relying on any future drilling. That's what we have right now. So we believe that the CapEx will be greatly uh, uh, enhanced uh, from, from where it was. We also believe that our net present value after tax... And our internal rate uh, of return calculation, uh, which you've mentioned at the outset, uh, will be enhanced as well. So uh, we're really looking forward to getting this report in our hands. We've directionally had some some real comfort with what we're seeing, and uh, because the you know the fact that gold really has broken out this year, uh, we will see a higher base case, which will improve not only our deposit but everyone else's around the world. So it, it's a good time to be in this business.
3: And uh, in in terms of Moving this forward, uh, okay, the PEA, where do you expect to take it after that?
0: Yeah, so uh, uh, we should be fully disclosed on our PEA at some point Mm -hmm. by the end of uh, this calendar month, uh, the next six to six to eight months, if you will. Um, is to uh, make sure people understand that uh, we've got uh, you know, a very sizable net present value on an asset in a really safe jurisdiction in a mining-friendly state. Uh, this is a company that's only spent $5 million on this asset since acquiring mm-hmm. it, and, and I think uh, you know, we've done a, a really heck of a job uh, being able to build value, which we will then turn into shareholder value and an appreciation once people can see the, the growth that we've put to it. Beyond that, um, we know uh, that to the north of our, our deposit and to the southeast, the same contained structures exist. And so we're going to do a 12 to 15-hole drill program into those two areas where, one, we hope we find the feeder source to the Mexican Hat deposit itself, but, two, to really add some new tons and ounces beyond what we've already got as a sizable program over a number of years um, that will we'll continue to add shareholder value.
3: So you're looking uh, to expand, continue to expand the resource, uh, show that it's economic at these levels. Uh, uh, Maybe somebody gets interested in you, or if not, you'll keep on uh, expanding the resource, hopefully making it more robust and and, uh, even better and bigger. And uh, of course, scale is always important, and I know, I think that was one of the reasons that maybe some people weren't, weren't all that excited about it initially, but now if you can Really scale this thing up a lot. That that will start to get people excited about it. I'm I'm quite sure.
0: Well, that's right. And and, and you know when you can you know know that you can extract uh, five to six hundred thousand ounces of gold at today's market value of nineteen hundred dollars. You, you know you're really looking at a quarter of a billion dollar valuation, and we're currently valued at eleven million dollars U.S. in the marketplace. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, humbly, speak modestly, I, 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 w- I would suggest that there's Certainly some upside in uh in being a shareholder of this company going forward.
3: No, I have no doubt about it. That's why I am one. And uh I think it's very exciting. are you well financed for now, Ian?
0: Um, We're reasonably well-financed. We've certainly got enough money uh, in the Treasury to uh, seek out and and, and complete the milestones that we set uh, for 2020. Uh, We are uh, trading at roughly twice the price of our warrant exercises, so Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're in discussions right now with some of our large shareholders who are exercising their warrants, and that will bring enough money in for us to... Uh, not only uh, drill the programs to the north and to the southeast that I've mentioned, but also to advance the, the business plan in other areas. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, that's good. Um, it looks like you're pretty much on your way then, and uh, we'll certainly be watching carefully. Uh, and uh, with anticipation of uh, some really good news coming out, I do know it seems that uh, it's certainly a great time to be in this business, Uh more often than not, companies when they go to seek money to raise money uh, end up having more offered than they're seeking. I was just making that. It seems like that's very often the case, and so <laughs> you and I can remember times when it wasn't that way. When you know nobody was interested at all. Even so, I'm oh, yeah. I'm told. I um, a brick rule last week on the show, and he was talking about how the market capitalization for mining companies in the S and P. Five hundred is only a like a quarter of what it was uh, during better time. You know, during during peak times in the past. So it seems to me there's an awful lot, uh, a long ways to go in this bull market. And um, you can raise money and um, you can do things now. It's 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 exciting times. Anything else you'd like to say? I'd like to make sure our listeners are aware of.
0: Well, I, I think we've pretty much summed it up from an overview standpoint, but yeah. uh, I hope your uh, readers can take a moment and and uh, join us on our website, which is gmvminerals.com. Uh, we know that this project has uh, an awful lot of merit. We're very excited about the detail that we'll be disclosing shortly. So uh, if anyone is interested, all of our contact details are on the website and look forward to sharing uh, more details as we go.
3: Right, and we can look forward uh, maybe within the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, for that updated PEA possibly.
0: That's right. Yeah. Long awaited. Uh, uh, it's been, uh, you know, uh, uh, my personality type is not one that enjoys to sit and wait, but
4: uh, uh, <laughs>
0: we're almost at that finish line now from a reporting standpoint, which I think will, uh, will give the company a new look going forward.
3: All right. Okay. And well, thank you very much uh, for uh, updating us on this. And we'll look forward to keeping up with uh, the story, certainly in my newsletter and as a personal investor as well. So I want to thank you very much for, for being with us today.
0: Wonderful, Jay. Well, thank you for asking me, and uh, stay safe.
3: Oh, we certainly will. Take care. All right. All right, folks, well, we're going to go to break now, but when we come back, John Rubino will be with us to tell us why this isn't uh, such a such an important election. I mean, that sounds preposterous to most of us, but John is always a very well-reasoned uh, Well, his ideas are always well-reasoned, so we'll hear what he has to say right after the break. We'll be with John Rubino.
2: Voice America is available on your Google-connected device.
0: Okay, Google,
4: play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio.
2: Try it today
4: nv gold core trading under nvx on the tsx and nvglf on the otc is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in north america with an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020 a tight share structure strong management ownership key strategic investors including eric sprott A globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit NVGoldCore.com to learn more on this exciting story. Voice America
1: Business Network, the bottom line in business.
3: Welcome back to turning hard times into good times. Hopefully, I am your host Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me a really good friend, John Rabino. And John, uh, of course, most of you would know John from his frequent appearances on this show, but he is also uh, he also heads up DollarCollapse.com, and and you really need to go to that website. I mean, I went there this morning. I don't go every day, but this morning in preparation for our discussion, I went there and um he, every week he puts up videos i guess this is top 10 but i think sometimes there's more than 10 uh if you really want to keep up with some of the some of the most uh significant names among the uh, the hard money camp anyway uh for example there's videos up this week rick rule michael pinto jim Rickards, peter schiff david mcelvaney raul powell uh and more uh and and very very good ones and um so I would say to go there as well as to read John's articles and others that he posts there, uh, it would be well worth your time if you're if you're really a serious student of the markets. Thanks for joining me again, John. Hey, Jay. It's great to be back. It's always good to have you uh, here. You're over there across the Rockies up there in the Northwest and some secluded area supposedly and uh, um, far away from all the COVID people dancing around the streets of Seattle, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, it, it could be a little more secluded from, from my point of view. We're, uh, you know, not that far from Seattle, and uh, I would like to be a lot farther based on what's going on over there. Yeah, but you do. But, I mean, you,
3: you do have to sort of it's, – it's not so easy to get from Seattle to, your, to where you live, I think, so.
1: Yeah, thank God that it's a hard trip. You have to t- put your car on a ferry to drive across. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, right. uh, and, you know, that would slow down the whole, you know, giant protest yeah. caravans and everything, right? So yeah, you hopefully would you would <laughs> hopefully it doesn't come to that. You know, maybe we're basically done with the the whole civil unrest thing for this cycle. Until the after the election, <laughs> I think well, we're gonna that's go back what I'm into afraid of. that's what
3: I'm afraid <laughs> of. But John, the least important election of our time you wrote, and that's the article is that's posted at dollar collapse. So folks you can go read that. Uh but John will tell us some of what's in there now. Um so you know, as you, you start out you say a consensus seems to have formed on both left and right that the upcoming presidential election involves some literally existential questions making it the most important election of our lifetimes. In fact, the opposite is true, you say. This election is at least is the least important of the past thirty years and very possibly the least important ever. Because to put it bluntly, we're kind of screwed either way. <laughs> so, so let's consider some of those supposedly existential threats, and then you name a bunch of them. You start out with a, a politicized Supreme Court. Uh, talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean that that is one of the um, the major issues of this election. Mm-hmm. But. Um, you know, in, in a system that's rapidly going bankrupt, it's not really going to matter all that much whether, for instance, Obamacare gets repealed. And, and actually, the only issue um, on Obamacare that's before the Supreme Court is just this one little thing called the, uh, the mandate, where the right. government can force you to buy insurance. Right. And that's, you know, that's clearly unconstitutional. The government does not have the power. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say the government is allowed to tell us what to buy. So that should be um, that. That shouldn't pass muster of the Supreme Court. It should be knocked out of Obamacare. But you know what? Obamacare would just go on as before, minus the mandate. So uh-huh. that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in yeah. any event, you know, if that accelerated the the move to Medicare for all, then from a liberal standpoint. It's actually progress, you know, even though it might not seem like it at first. Mm-hmm. Um, not progress for you and me, but progress for, for people who would like to see total government-run health care. And then abortion is another one where Roe versus Wade is clearly a bad decision because, you know, in 1973, the Supreme Court wanted abortion to be legal and so just made up a right in the Constitution, mm-hmm. you know, they said the Constitution implies that because there's a right to privacy, you know, abortion is a private thing, therefore, abortion um, cannot be made illegal in any state. Um, that could easily be overturned by a conservative court, and that has the, you know, the left is just freaked by that prospect. But if it happened, you um, most states would just turn around and make abortion legal, you know, and then they would figure out a way to ferry women from the uh, the pro life states, and so, so, there would still be abortion, and you yeah. know, Roe versus Wade would not end abortion; it would just put it back into the legislative mm-hmm. realm where it should have been all along. You know, we as voters get to decide about this thing. So, so, you know, a Supreme Court that uh, that goes conservative for, from here wouldn't actually change the world in any huge fundamental way. Um, mm-hmm. And if it leads the Democrats after the election when they, you know, assuming they take power this time around to then try to pack the court, then that opens up a whole um, a whole new political battle which will probably go against the guys who are trying to pack the court, right? That seems like a really unpopular thing to do. So, you know, it, it, this battle over this Supreme Court nominee and what happens afterwards has nothing to do with the fact that we're going bankrupt and that's the overriding fact, you know, and a yeah. lot of these other, uh, especially the social issues um, you know, they're very important. I don't want to minimize the um, the, the validity of points of view on social issues, but uh, you know, battling over them now is like, Trying, you know, battling over renovating the kitchen while your house is burning down. You know, the the big thing that's happening will make all of this stuff seem kind of quaint in retrospect. Because the, you know, we are headed for a financial crisis that is is going to be epic. You know, it'll be unlike anything certainly that we've seen in our lifetimes, and you know, very possibly like we've seen ever because we are corrupting fiat currencies all around the world. This isn't a one country thing. This is a global. Hyperinflation slash currency crisis that's coming our way and uh, and so'm you know i'm frankly kind of exhausted by the political battles that mm-hmm. don 't involve debt because you know yeah. if we if, if we then go on to debt um, as the as an issue in this election, well, we were running trillion dollar deficits before this election under the Republicans, supposedly the small government yeah. um, party. And we'll be running trillion dollar deficits after the election, regardless of who wins. That's you know, so right. we're, we are headed for that cliff at an okay. accelerating rate. And this election will not affect it in any way. Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll be spending money on different things depending on who's in charge. But we'll still be spending that money. We will still be using negative interest rates to encourage the private sector, sector to take on unreasonable amounts of debt, because that's yeah. how you generate you know, what little tax revenue that governments do get these days. You get people to buy houses and cars and things like that and pay sales yeah. taxes and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I see what you mean. I, I, I definitely, uh, I
3: buy that part of it, but I'm not quite sure, John, that I would agree with regard to the insignificance of this election in it for a couple of reasons. Let's say that the Democrats take the Senate, Assume they keep the House, I, I more or less do, but they have a good chance of taking the Senate. And they win the White House, and they decide that they're going to get rid of the, I guess they could get rid of the Electoral College. Does that have to go through a, would that have to go through, would that have to be an amendment? I'm not sure. But if they, they're talking about, they want to get rid of the Electoral College, they want to get rid of the filibuster in the Senate, they're talking about adding two more uh, liberal states. So they'd get four more senators. They're talking about packing the courts. Now, that one I sort of agree with you on because you said it's not popular. And I did see a statistic at lunchtime today that I think it was like 60% of Democrats think it's a bad idea. So if that's the case, then maybe that doesn't get done. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you, but, it, but oh. what I fear is that we have a one-party rule. Uh, already, Already the Democrats seem not to be interested in freedom of speech any college campus that's dominated by liberals will not allow conservatives to speak we've seen what has just happened with the strongly demo you know the uh, the the IT companies the big um, uh, social media companies uh, twitter and facebook that are silencing reports from the uh, from uh, from the new york post regarding the biden family and what's going on there you could shut down the first amendment the second amendment the Democrats are hostile towards generally, at least the ones on the left, the furthest to the left, are hostile towards both the first and second amendments. And John, if we lose those amendments, I mean I don't know that they can but they're doing it. I mean they're they're trying to take away the second amendment through legislation, through the states and so forth. So I'm I'm not I, I definitely agree with you on the on the issue of the econo- the economy that, that we are in trouble no matter who. Who is president? But it seems to me that on the margin there may be some differences. For example, if you have a Supreme Court, if you have a Supreme Court that really are made up of strict constructionists and they're not trying to make legislation, as you just pointed out, they did in Roe v. Wade, uh, but you had someone that tried to stick to the rules, to the laws, to the, to the Constitution, it might make a difference. But on the other hand, I also believe uh, that if you have a country made up of angry people, who are hungry, can't put food on their tables, and can't pay their rents, and they're destitute, that probably it won't make a
1: lot of difference. I kind of think that here. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I, I agree with everything that you just said about what the Democrats would do if they get into power, you know, it wouldn't be pretty. Yeah. We would end up with a one-party state, because they would, they would use demographics. They would huh. weaponize demographics to yeah. uh, to get elected, but then we would have this one party state presiding over an epic financial crisis, yeah. which you know they would get blamed for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and
3: that so, for that reason, it seems to me a, a good friend of mine uh, goes to the church I go to is is convinced that it's better. Uh, it would be better if uh, you know if the Democrats won the White House, uh, but the Republicans kept the Senate and. Uh, Maybe that kind of divided government might be better. I don't know.
1: But you have – go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I I think you could make that case basically for the past 40 years that gridlock is the best possible outcome for Mm -hmm. the U.S. government, right? Because the the less they do, the less damage they do. Yeah, that's
3: what the founding fathers wanted. That's why they structured things the way they are. But that's what the Democrats are trying to get rid of. They're trying to get rid of these checks and balances that make make, – dictatorship or, or one party rule impossible are very difficult. And so I think that was the, the genius of our founding fathers to, to set these, these different checks and balances up. But if you have a Supreme Court that is nothing more than a legislature, then one of those three stools that balance the country that keep us in check are gone. You know, a two-legged stool isn't very stable.
1: Yeah. Well, we, we've already left behind most of the checks and balances that were yeah. originally in the Constitution. Hmm. The biggest was sound money, right? You take oh, that away, yeah. and, and you get all of the stuff that we have right now very um, obviously. Like anybody who understands human nature would, would look at the 1971 decision to basically give every government um, in the world an unlimited checking account. Um, and they they would look at that and say, "Oh, that's probably a bad idea. I bet that corrupts everybody and we end up with way too much debt and et cetera. And so we got that. You know, so that that part of the Constitution is yeah. over. Mm-hmm.
3: And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Money. The dollar was defined in terms of a set amount of gold and silver. So.
1: Yeah, it says that in the Constitution, <laughs> and somehow they I, uh, somehow they got around it. But but you know that's the tendency of government. It wants yes. to get around limitations on its power. Mm-hmm. And um, you know I think it's the Thomas Jefferson Thomas Jefferson who said that uh, periodically the tree of liberty has to be re- um, watered with the blood of tyrants or, oh. or tyrants and tyrants and patriots. Uh, but basically, that's, that's the battle that we have left our kids, right? They're, they're going to have to confront a government that is completely out of control and that is doing things that, that weren't even contemplated as possible in the Constitution. Um, and you know, from the financial and political rubble of that, we're going to have to rebuild something that is viable. And that's really where, where the interesting argument comes. I think you know arguments today, are, are um, don't lead anywhere because we haven't had the crisis yet. And once we have that crisis, once we're in the depths of it, mm-hmm. and people are educating themselves about the nature of money, for instance, and the limitations of government, and what are natural rights, and what are you know entitlements that are granted by the government, and and um, how do those things differ, and and you know we have that conversation, and then. We, we an idea forms at least on one side of the spectrum that we need to go back to something similar to the original constitution with limited government and individual freedom and sound money. you know that that's when it gets interesting, but right mm-hmm. now, you know we can say all this stuff, nobody listens oh that's true, yeah. nobody's listening and,
3: too much and people are uh, this is why the division um, because of the idea of what government is supposed to be. Um, and, um, yeah, it's almost like, you know, like uh, on a personal level, a lot of times people who have issues have to, you know, have to, have to fall upon hard times before they recognize that they need to change and look at things. They're forced to look at things differently, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. John, a couple of other topics uh, in your piece, World War III and the military-industrial complex. Maybe you'd comment on that because Trump likes to brag about how he has really built up the military again. On on the other hand, he hasn't started any new wars, which is pretty good for four years.
1: Yeah, to his credit. And and you know that that to me is by far the biggest thing that the federal government does because I have two draft age sons. <laughs> and sure. you know, it, it is crucial that they don't get sent over to some, you know, Middle Eastern hellhole yeah. thing that where you know, it's a pointless fight, but they still might lose their legs. Or you know, I, I just hate the yeah. prospect and don't want to see it. And, you know, Trump, I'm grateful that he has not started any new wars. But, um, you know, it's completely conceivable that within weeks we could be fighting China in the South China Sea or Iran in the Middle East. Um, and, you know, that could ha- happen under Trump or it could happen... Under Democrats, except I think the Democrats would probably choose Russia as their World War III opponent. Oh yeah. It's, whereas we might choose, or r- the Republicans might choose China. Either way, there you know, weapons will be um, employed that don't even belong on planets. You know, we've got so much power right now that the things we can do are just um, horrifying to think of. Um, but you know, it's not clear to me that one side or the other is going to make friends better. You know, then turn enemies into friends,
4: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, right now we're we're just kind of antagonizing the whole world. And um, I, but you know, Trump, you're right, does deserve credit for the Middle Eastern peace deals he's mm-hmm. been able to cut, mm-hmm. and for the fact that we have not started any big new wars. So, um, you know, that- I, I think if if there's anything that we can say um, that uh, the Trump has done better than the Democrats, that would be it. I think because uh, it, you know we really have not started anything big and new. And, and you know, we haven't been able to say that for, what, 30 years now, right? No, in, in most no. of our adult lives, uh, every five or six years, we start some new big fight somewhere in the right. world. Well, five or six if Trump is reelected. But, <laughs> you yeah. know, let's,
3: anyway, that's, that, that's a big one to me as well. And I think Eisenhower was so concerned about it. But, John, I think that, you know, we talk about the deep state. that of What is the deep state is this huge amount, this military-industrial complex, that Eisenhower was very concerned about. And, you know, my friend Jeff Dice, who was Ron Paul's chief of staff uh, during Ron's run for the presidency the last time, he talks about each of these big departments, uh, you know, federal departments, are so big and powerful. They have so much, there's more power than the president has, essentially, each one of them, in some ways. And the, and the money that's involved in these, I mean, just think about how Washington keeps getting bigger. The, all around Washington and the the uh, DC complex keeps moving and expanding outwardly. Uh, and those states that used to be conservative are turning are turning blue. they're turning blue because anybody that gets their money through the government wants to see that continue uh, and get bigger, right? It seems like it.
1: Oh yeah. Um, you know, I used to live in Virginia. And it was a conservative state. Very conservative. There was, there was no chance of them going for a, a Democrat presidential right. nominee. I remember. And And now, because of Northern Virginia, which is, you know, that's all full of government employees. Mm-hmm. So they tend to vote liberal because that's, you know, that idea. They have they have the idea that that's going to funnel more money into um, their neighborhoods and their, the departments of the government that they work for. Mm-hmm. Um, so suddenly, Virginia is a... Um, uh, a blue state, which is just amazing, you know, but, but that's how it works. You know, the government is just expanding and, and this is happening under Trump. Oh yeah. He he did not cut the size of the government. Well, so I mean, we're
3: seeing, you know, we're seeing Trump just, just, I mean, just not concerned at all about however many trillions it takes, just throw the money out there. And this is what you were saying that at some point in time when we're forced to think seriously about money, uh, it, this thing is going to come to an end, and um, and that's, uh, you know, that's, I mean, a lot of these things that you talked about sort of overlap. For example, rampant corruption is another topic that you mentioned, it seems to me that that could overlap with, with all these other government expenditures, too, because as you just said, people vote their pocketbook, and if the government can, can um, you know, expand their programs, and they can, you know, if you're sitting in a, in a corporate setting that depends on government spending you you know you like to see everybody doing well in that corporation so you're just all in favor of it so it's like not something that people necessarily consciously engage in they, they're probably convincing themselves that these military weapons that they're producing is good in defending America so there's always well, that
1: I mean there's always a rationale for the growth of government but uh, by, by definition the bigger government gets the more corrupt it gets because yeah. if it has a lot of goodies to hand out, people will find a way to game the system to get those goodies.
3: Well, this is the issue then in terms of the goodies. And the goodies have been available because of the United States' power, its military industrial complex, its ability to uh, its ability to force other countries to use the dollar. As our currency went off the gold standard, the petrodollar came into being. And, um, and so this gravy train has been able to go for a long time, but... Um, I don't know. at zero interest rates, John. How many foreign countries are going to want to really be buying uh, treasuries? You know, I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you see some risk for the dollar ahead of us, perhaps, because of this? We have negative real rates now. Negative yeah. nominal rates could be coming.
1: Yeah, well, they they will have to because in the next crisis, whatever it is, you know, if the economy doesn't speed up after the coronavirus or the coronavirus doesn't go away in a in sufficiently, or we have the next war or the next stock market crash, any of those things will force the Fed to act. And it's it's really got a limited set of tools right now, right? It can it can create a huge amount of new currency and buy a bunch of bonds, but it's already bought most of the bonds, you know. It yeah. was buying junk bonds. Yeah. Um, just recently and it'll have to buy equities and and uh, and it will have to push interest rates down dramatically and and so yeah all of this stuff is still happening and you reach a point where you've you've bailed out everybody in sight and you've shifted the the pressure away from for instance Illinois pensions, which are bankrupt and will have to be bailed out soon, over to the currency. You know, people start to realize that, oh, my God, my house price is going up dramatically. And I tried to buy a used car and it was 50% more than I thought it was. And, mm-hmm. you know, things are going up in, in price, which is the same thing as saying the currency is going down in value. And and then you get the um, Austrian economics crack-up boom, right? When people bail on the currency. And then the government has no more tools with which to manipulate these markets and to encourage us all to take on more and more debt, and the system breaks down. Uh, And, you know, my point with this article is that that's what we're headed for, and that's when you get, you know, all the stuff that we're worried about now, like a, a dictatorship, because when the system spins out of control... Historically, I mean, this has happened many times in the past, and sure. governments always act irrationally when they panic. And that's when you get people desperate for strong leadership and governments who, who just want to stop the bleeding somehow, even if they ignore the Constitution to do it. And so that's when the, the potential for dictatorship becomes real, not after this election when people are worried that Trump's not going to you know accept the, um, the vote or anything like that. Yeah. But, but in the next crisis... Um, it's completely possible that that we get martial law that's very open-ended where the government just suspends civil liberties until the crisis is over and the crisis doesn't end for a long time, and that's basically it for, you know, American democracy. And that's what you get when you screw up your finances. So this is a huge deal. This isn't just, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have a couple of weeks of inflation and we'll make some money no. in the gold market and... and no. No, this is going to be much bigger and much more protracted. Much Although bigger we will and, make lots of money in gold if this happens, you know that's well, the Well, or what you'll do is keep yeah. some wealth. Uh, that, I think
3: that's better put: is you'll keep you'll keep some wealth if the government allows you to keep your gold. That's another issue, of course, too. But uh, and you know it was taken away, or it was uh, required to turn it in uh, under Roosevelt. So there's a precedent for that. Well, John, I'd just like to tell our listeners you also had some interesting comments. On the environment and solar is really picking up. I know that you actually wrote a book. Um, maybe you co-authored a book or you were involved with the book that had to do with the environment. So I know that you're quite, you're quite interested in that. And you point out that solar is really becoming very efficient and is eating into the uh, petrol, uh, uh, I guess to the fossil
1: fuels. Yeah. Well, my point was the the whole green new deal thing mm-hmm. um will be mostly taken care of by the free market as new technologies come along mm-hmm. that replace older dirtier technologies. Mm-hmm. And solar is the, the is really the most interesting one in the energy sector. Oh, electric cars are very interesting too. You know, battery technology in general is going to uh-huh. make a huge difference. And um when, when a technology's time has come, it doesn't matter what the economy is doing, it doesn't matter what the political system thinks, the, the um, private sector takes care of it. And that's where it is with solar now. Solar has gotten cheaper year after year after year to the point where it has crossed the line of, for instance, um, coal-generated electricity. Yeah. It is now cheaper than that in more and more places. So people are just buying it. And, and so it will replace a lot of fossil fuels, which will go right. a long way towards okay, the we're gonna- goal.
3: We're going to have to leave it go at that, John. It's fascinating stuff. People, uh, you need to go to dollarcollapse.com. You can read John's article and uh, more than we were able to get to today. Thanks so much for being with us, John, and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future, hopefully.
1: Thanks, Jay. I'd like that.
3: All right, folks. Well, uh, next week, uh, Frank Holmes, uh, Michael Oliver, and Jim Gregg of Benchmark Metals will be with me. Uh, Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
2: Benchmark Metals is an advanced gold-silver exploration company that is rapidly advancing its Canadian gold-silver project to a production decision. Benchmark is nearing completion of its largest program to date, with up to 100,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling in 2020. The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group Management Team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. Visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success.